listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And here's our regular section. It's politics explained, back to basics in the political sense, but with my very good friend, Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. So today we've got uh, a question actually an email sent in by one of our listeners. So I'm going to read out the question and then we're going to have a little bit of a discussion. It's, it's a very interesting question. So it goes, I'm a long-time listener, first-time commenter. Your politics discussion with Tane Webster is a great addition to your show. I have some questions, ideas regarding our politics and particularly the political party structures that maybe you can help with and could be of interest to other listeners, maybe for the next politics with Tane session. So the first question, he sent in six, uh, this is Simon, and we may only go into the first one in this in this session because it's quite a in-depth question. So the first question is, do you know how many party members each of the main New Zealand political parties have? How does this compare to say 30 years ago? I've tried to find this information online, but unable to. When I hear that VFF have over 100,000 people on an email list, it makes me think that there could be more VFF-aligned people in New Zealand than the combined number of political party members. If VFF members mobilised and joined the main political parties in large numbers, could it be feasible that some of the main political parties could be influenced from within by freedom lovers, e.g.? What would happen if 10,000 VFF folk decided to join, say, the National Party? and got involved with their meetings and campaigns, etc., but with an attitude to question anything taking our country in a direction away from our cherished freedoms. With large numbers, could that shift the conversation and direction within a party? The creation of many small parties over recent times is detrimental to our aims. All this will achieve is a splitting of the vote and will probably result in more power going to the large parties. As most of these small parties are centre-right, the main beneficiary will be the Labour Party, exactly what we do not want. So what do you think, fabulous. Rodney? I can repeat parts of that if you need. No, it's a fabulous, fabulous question, and I think Simon's absolutely right. You could almost easily take over a political party. They would have the fright of their lives. So, no, uh, we don't know how many uh, members that political parties have. I know at times with ACT, we were in our dark days uh, treading on the edge of being deregistered because you have to show 500 members. So at times we got down below 1,000 and then it would sort of, we'd build it up again. But every year, you know, they've got to write a check and if they're grumpy with you, the check doesn't come. I know that Peter Dunn's party went below the 500 and he had to work like crazy to get it up so he could be properly registered and show that he had those that membership. Uh, I would say that the Labour and Nationals membership is in the few thousands. I'd be shocked if they're over 10, which is amazing. Simon asked about what it was some years ago. It was in the hundreds of thousands. Right. The yeah. Labour was helped with the uh, union movement and National was helped because it was a social thing. It was like joining Rotary and they'd have dances on, they'd have functions on and you belong to the National Party. Literally like you would belong to Rotary. 
or the bridge club or the tennis club. It was a very much a social function. You would have your local MP come to talk to you. Um, you would have ministers come through, and it was a big deal. And when they had their national conferences, the conferences would send delegates, right? Because you'd be a delegate from Clutha Southland, say, or Auckland, and you'd be chosen to represent your area. Nowadays, when the National Party and the Labour Party have a conference, I suspect they still call them delegates, but it's sort of making it up a bit. I know in the act I'd call them delegates, but we were making that up. It was anyone that would come to sort of make it good for TV. And I suspect it's the same for national because it's happened everywhere. We don't join clubs and organisations like we did, you know, Boy Scouts, um, Rotary. Uh, they're not the things that they were because we sort of meet online, I guess. Also, we've got an interested in politics, but even then in the old days, those functions were less about politics and more about a social get-together uh, mm. around uh, uh, politics. Now, the other fascinating thing about political parties, until we had MMP, the political parties didn't exist in our electoral law, which is hard to believe. They weren't part of our constitution. So our constitution only recognised MPs. So the political parties were something outside of the legal process of getting elected, but they were a piece of machinery and organisation that would endorse and select and support a candidate who would then get elected. Now, this jumps on a bit because I know Simon asked about, you know, Pledge of Allegiance and all the rest of it. Once you're an MP in the old days, that was it. You owed nothing to your party. Nothing. The party couldn't control you. What it could do is not select you at the next election, but it couldn't make you do a thing. So uh, under MMP, because we have this party vote, we recognise parties in our parliament, and because of this great mad love of proportionality, we have the waka jumping bill, which says, you know, you, if you don't vote with your party or you leave your party, you lose your place. I hate that because I actually want more independent MPs, not more beholden MPs. So in the old days, it really was quite grassroots in terms of numbers. How does policy get formed? Pretty much gets formed from the top. There's a process because MPs need to be selected in their electorate, so they've got to keep the electorate happy and all that. In the old days, nowadays, it's all top down. And that's leading to even less people involved in politics because an ordinary member of a political party has no say. So you can write letters, you can jump up and down, you have no more say than you or I do, Tane, about what happens in Labour or what happens in National by joining the party. You can let off steam, that's it. 
the bosses are going to do what the bosses do. So, yeah, yeah. Can you, can you take them over? You bet you could. I, mean, I, th- I think if you're sitting there as a National Party president and you suddenly saw 10,000 people <laughs> applying to become members, you would put a halt on accepting members because you would detect what's going on. 10,000 members, you take over any political party and start running it. Why? Because with 10,000 members who are active and got a simple focus, the party uh, parties are required to be democratic. It's a requirement in the electoral law. They're, they're required to select their list, for example, democratically. They're required to select their boards and chairpersons democratically. So 10,000 people sneaking into the National Party or the Labour Party could choose the board and the list. Imagine it. Wouldn't happen overnight, but it happened by the next election. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a great question that Simon put in, and we actually discussed this topic, uh, among many other things, at our recent VFF conference, which you were at. And uh, I just it reminds me of a quote, I think it's Mark Twain, it's like, when you're on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. Yes. And I feel like within the quote-unquote broader freedom movement, the majority are hyper-focused, tunnel vision on a minor party breaking the 5% threshold. And then there's this whole, there's many other things. Like in the conference we went through, there's about seven or eight things I presented on. There's many ways you can interact with politics and everyone's focused on just this one way. And I think this is a classic example of that quote where there's actually more effective ways to make change. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be all at once. That's probably a good thing. But I think you would Donna Awateri Huata, who was a Maori MP and a good friend of mine, I had a lot of time for Donna, even though she could be naughty at times, uh, and I say that in a criminal way, um, which was pretty awful. But she was a highly intelligent uh, woman, and it was a Maori strategy to get Maori MPs who'd promote the Maori cause into every political party heading into MMP. And how successful has that been? Unbelievably successful. And in fact, if you look around at success in politics, uh, particularly revolutionary acts, it's an amazing small group of people that affect the change because most people are just getting on with their lives. So, you know, what was it? Lenin took over Russia with 2,000 people. It's extraordinary. So with 10,000, if you can take over Russia with 2,000, you should be able to knock off the National Party with 10,000. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's a great question by Simon. And, and I, we, yeah, we'll have to go through his other ones on a future recording. But, um, yeah, do you have any further but of thoughts? Course, one person can't do it. Ten people can't do it. But 1,000, boy, oh, boy. And... Why wouldn't it be that way? You know, um, it has to ultimately be uh, political and the members have to matter. And imagine this. 
you have a president saying, oh, well, you can't put that motion, you can't propose that, you can't say that. And you say, well, okay. And when are you coming up for re-election? You say to an MP, oh, well, you're not happy with me and these 500 people joining joining your electorate as members. Well, when, he, when is your name forward, going forward for the list? Because once mm. you're a member and you've got a group and a block, that's significant, really, really significant. And I think, I think it's worth pointing out, I just loaded it up on the page, um, the National Party website, the uh, national.org.nz forward slash values, and their purported values, are, you know, some of them are I share, right? Oh, and, absolutely. We just want and them the thing is, to do them. The, 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 yeah, the, the party of today is not the the national party of no. Sydney Holt, great great no. people like him. But but that doesn't mean the party is completely worthless and should be thrown out. Uh, I mean, I'm just I'll just read a few out. There's limited government, strong families, personal responsibility, individual freedom and choice, national and personal security, equal citizenship, loyalty to our country. That's a pretty big one, right? So there's not one of them I disagree with. And the 10,000 could march into the National Party, I'd suggest surreptitiously, you know, staggered, and then just say, all we want to do is hold you to your values that are written here in your constitution. Likewise with ACT. All we want to do is that. We're not trying to push you in the way you don't want to go. We just want to hold you to the way that you say you want to go. We're here to help. We're here to support you. I should point out that in 1993, Roger Douglas wrote a book called Unfinished Business, and he outlined how to reform health, education, welfare, and our tax system. And at the end of it, he suggested this is how you could implement this. And one of his options was to take over either National or Labor. And uh, he was quite serious about that. He didn't think that would be hard to do. Now, he's he, he's had more experience in politics. His father and his grandfather were Labour MPs and MPs of some note. Um, extraordinary MPs. His grandfather was Bill Anderton. He was a founding member of the New Zealand Labour Party. No relation to Jim Anderton. And... Um, his father uh, was an MP, but more particularly a, an active member in the Labour Party for many, many years. However, he fell out of favour because he left the Labour Party with John A. Lee when John A. Lee walked out over a row with Mickey Savage. So Roger Douglas is steeped in Labour Party politics and history from its very foundation. And he felt that you could it would be a very good option to take over a political party. At the time that we were discussing that, MMP came along, and so we thought it might be easier to start a party and get 5%. I think it would have been easier to take over Labour or National. Yeah. Very interesting little segment. And well, I'm sure Simon, Simon... <laughs> Simon, you started up a thought process. You might have started up trouble. And we've even got more questions. So, Tane, thank you for that. Thank, thank you particularly for, to Simon. And we'll be back next week with some more Politics Explained. Back to the basics. Thank you, Tane. Thanks, Rodney. 
You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio.